You are listening to Isabella Free Radio on the Jcast Network. For more information about the Jcast Network, podcasts, and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. For more information about the programs of the Isabella Friedman Jewish Retreat Center, please visit isabellafriedman.org. Good afternoon and welcome to Isabella Free Radio. I'm Rachel Jacoby Rosenfield, your host and director of Isabella Friedman's Jewish Screening Fellowship. Today's topic is, what is Jewish meditation? Isabella Free Radio is a monthly broadcast series in a partnership with jcastnetwork.org, featuring live interviews with some of the inspiring leaders and teachers who helped to make Isabella Friedman such a warm, enriching, and transformational environment. As a listener, uh, you can tune in on your computer or by telephone. And we welcome those listeners on the computer to submit questions in real time. You can use the form on your screen. Every Isabella Free radio broadcast will be preserved and available for future listening as a podcast through our exciting partnership with jcastnetwork.org, the official syndicator of Isabella Free radio broadcasts. I am delighted to introduce today's guests, Rabbi David Cooper and Allison Lecter. Welcome, Rabbi Cooper and Allison. Hi. Hi. So before we get started, Hello, I'm, I'm going to... having a little difficulty hearing, so if you can talk up a little bit louder. Yes, sure. I, uh, you'll let, keep me posted on whether you can hear, okay? Uh, I'm going to introduce you. Uh, Rabbi, Rabbi David Cooper is an author, lecturer, teacher, and meditation guide. Um, in, early, in the earlier years, he was a successful businessman and a student of both Eastern and Western spiritual traditions, a sailor, and a world traveler. His best-selling book, God is a Verb, has been translated into a number of different languages and has sold over 120,000 copies. Cooper and his wife, Shoshana, teach and lead meditation retreats across the nation and are well-known and respected leaders in the field of Jewish meditation. And they have taught extensively, and his his, uh, television documentary about him was telecast in Europe and Israel, and we are very lucky to have him on today's radio broadcast. Allison Lecter is co-founder and executive director of the Jewish Meditation Center of Brooklyn. He's a meditation teacher, urban planner, and community organizer, and has been meditating since she was 15. She studied civil engineering at the Cooper Union and urban planning at Columbia University, has practiced and studied meditation extensively in the Himalayan and Santa Cruz Mountains, and with teachers at Chochmat Halev in Berkeley, Uh, California, and at Isabella Friedman in Connecticut. She teaches at the Jewish Meditation Center and leads classes and workshops on meditation for students of all ages throughout the United States, including at Isabella Friedman. So again, (laughs) let me welcome both of you. Rabbi David, can you hear me okay? I can. Just keep it nice and loud. I'll be... (laughs) Fantastic. I will shout. Great. So um, I just want to begin by uh, by hearing a little bit about the story of what led each of you to your meditation practices. I mean, Allison, in your in your bio, you talk about having started meditating you were fi- at, since you were f- at 15, which strikes me as you know really unusual and exciting and interesting. So mm-hmm. um, maybe we'll start with you, Allison. Will you tell us the story of how you discovered meditation? Sure. Um, when I was 15, I went to a very amazing and kind of radical environmental sleepaway camp and meditation was part of the camp and it wasn't um it wasn't like there weren't specific meditation classes it was just part of what we did every day 
And I wound up learning how to meditate from some of the founders of the deep ecology movement. And their meditation practice is really based in this idea that um, that every person's breath is related to this bigger cycle of breath of everything green on the planet, that the environment is not a separate thing. And it's really, I mean, I think it was very, I know it's very influenced by Buddhism and really the sort of interconnectedness teachings of Buddhism. That's how I originally learned. Hmm. And at the age of 15, and I'm, I'm relating to this as the mother of someone who's, who's not too far from that age, um, <laughs> did, you, did you have um, it, sort of an immediate grasp of it? Because I know many people who, who are interested in meditating kind of struggle with just getting started. I, I, but as a 15-year-old, was, was that a little different than it might be for an adult? Um, I think so. I teach kids and teenagers a lot now, which is interesting. And I think that um, most adults have these preconceived notions about meditation that sort of trips them up, mm-hmm. um, like that you're supposed to empty your mind or clear all your thoughts, which, I mean, we all kind of know that's impossible. You know, if you're a living, breathing human being, you can't make all your thoughts go away. Um And I think kids and teenagers don't have that idea, so they're kind of willing to go with it and try it out. So when I was 15, I'd never heard of meditation. I didn't have any idea of what that could mean. And um, I just sort of jumped in, and it was a really kind of easy, beautiful practice for me. But I didn't come home. I wasn't like um, a monk in my bedroom when I came home at 15. It was just like a new skill that I had. And were you consistently practicing since that time? Yeah, which is interesting. Um, mostly in a Buddhist context. When I came back from that camp, um, I started reading a lot about meditation. I started reading all books on transcendental meditation and um, and just sort of like basic Buddhist texts. And then when I graduated high school and went to college, I wound up taking more in-depth classes and practicing in Buddhist communities, um, mostly because I didn't know that Jewish meditation existed, and there definitely weren't any communities around that I knew about. Um, And then when I went to Israel on birthright in college, at that point I was all Buddhist all the time. I had no interest in Judaism really, but I went on birthright because it was free, and I thought my grandparents would be happy. Um, and in Israel, someone gave me, like many, many, many other people, David Cooper's book, God is a Verb. And that that really did change my whole perspective on spirituality and Judaism and meditation. Wow. Wow. So, Rabbi Cooper, were you aware of that story? <laughs> no, I love that story. Keep telling me. <laughs> it's That's- true. That's that's a lovely, lovely synergy. So, well, let me, with that, turn to, to Rabbi David and ask you, um, were you meditating when you were 15? How did you get started <laughs> with your meditation practice, and what led you to then you know, be an inspiration for so many others? Well, I, I can't say that I started at 15, but I certainly was a spiritual seeker in my teens, and I didn't know about meditation at the time. Um, my deepest experience, my opening experience, actually happened, interestingly, uh, in the Sufi world. Um, and you'll find many uh, people who, uh, in the Baal Shuva, uh list that come back to, uh, to, to their Jewish roots, they often have had experience in Buddhism or Sufism or Hinduism. And, um, and that's, it gets started off, but interestingly, 
many, many people learn through meditation, starting with another and a different uh, practice, a different tradition, they often uh, discover that uh, their Jewish roots pull them back. So my own experience was with a, a Sufi teacher who uh, led uh, meditation, and I just remember uh, having my mind blown as he guided us through the meditation, and I was weeping uh, by the end, knowing that there was something about it that was going to be an important part of my spiritual path. And from that time, and that, that occurred in my... Twenties and at, at, uh, after that, I started seeking out uh, different places to do meditation, and um, and I started doing retreats. And from that point on, I was wor- working in a lot of different worlds until uh, ultimately my wife and I moved to uh, Israel, and we were living in the old city. And uh, it was uh, high holidays. And a number of people wanted to meditate. Actually, they all came from different meditation experiences. And we uh, we had a Yom Kippur preparation week uh, on in our meditative state, and it was amazing. In fact, so incredible that all of these very committed people, these committed Jewish folks, said they really didn't understand how anybody could uh, do Yom Kippur without preparing for it, doing a meditation process. And that, that's what started off uh, our leading meditation retreats um, in different parts of the U.S. and under the, you know, in a Jewish setting. Yeah, yeah. So please tell us more about what what is Jewish meditation. I hear, you know, I hear in, in what each of you is saying that you recognized in some way, either consciously or unconsciously, a Jewish spiritual dimension when you were first introduced to meditation. Um, but you know, you've both taken it to this new place of being, you know, squarely s- centered in a Jewish spiritual context. So, but maybe Rabbi Cooper, you can tell us a little bit about what is Jewish meditation specifically. It's interesting. Jewish meditation uh, has gone already, just in its nascent years, has gone through a number of levels. Um, In the beginning, I would say in the beginning, which was only maybe 20, 30 years ago, uh, where the idea of Jewish meditation was brought forth, uh, I remember early on when I first started talking about it, people would say to me, well, sitting quietly (laughs) is is not Jewish. (laughs) Not without food, anyway. Much, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it brings me much closer to my Jewish roots because there's something that happens um, when one sits quietly, and we we uh, there's an architecture to the mind and the thoughts, and the practice uh, begins to open up parts of our neshama, parts of our soul that uh, are really yearning for not necessarily for the quiet, but for the uh, opportunity to be in nature, to, be, to, be, to let the mind settle, uh, to let yourself kind of reflect on how things are, happening, are uh, opening up, that sort of business. And um, I, I, I don't know that it's kind of mysterious what brings us uh, to it, but it's gone through this, these processes in the early days. It started off as kind of a Buddhist modality, uh, but with, uh, I used to say we do Buddhism so, with chicken noodle soup, and uh, we all laughed about that. But it, it's slowly developed to something more than just uh, Buddhism with uh, Jewish uh, surroundings. It, it became something with different uh, growing practices, and there's technical practices that 
transcended the, just the basics of the watch your breath kind of concentration practice, but went higher and higher until it got to uh, a point of Kabbalah, of receiving um, whatever it is one receives in the Kabbalistic state of mind. And it moved into something that transcended the earlier days and became its own experience. So that when I talk to people today about Jewish meditation, there's a, an, a yes, a uh-huh, without it going, oh, you're just doing Buddhism and, uh, you know, why don't you just do what, what you're calling Jewish? And uh, nowadays it's completely different because you have this realization instead of teaching in the name of the Buddha or teaching in the name of Sufism or something, you're actually, we're actually pulling references and other kinds of things in that um, feels very kosher to the people that are sitting in the room, most of whom are Jewish, but a lot who are not. And so what's very interesting in uh, days past, uh, there might be a large number of uh, Jewish folks sitting in a different tradition. In, in our day, more and more that we have people coming in with different backgrounds in addition to Judaism, and they're coming in because it's a practice that, uh, that works, uh, and it, ha it doesn't have context that's other than Jewish, and so it feels very comfortable teaching along those lines. Hmm. So I, I'm, I'm going to guess that, that our, many of our listeners are going to be very intrigued hearing about this, this practice, perhaps those who know about it, even those who who've never heard about it before, um, and so I want to take this opportunity to, to make sure that everyone knows that um, they can sit and, and meditate and learn with you um, and with your wife, Shoshana, uh, over the new year from, um, from December 25th to January 1st. Uh, you'll be facilitating a retreat at Isabella Friedman called The Gift of Silence, Jewish Contemplative Immersion Retreat. Um, so can you just take a moment to you know, sort of paint a picture for our listeners of what what a day in this retreat looks and feels like. So if someone's thinking about, oh, this sounds appealing, I might want to do this, they can have a, a sense of, of, what, of what it's like. I, I, if you, I'm, uh, Allison, if there's a, would you repeat what, if there was a question in there? Because um, I, I hear you very clearly in the, I'm breaking up uh, with, um, with uh, me. Uh, the other line there. So, so, Rabbi David, why don't I try to say it again? Can you hear me okay? The, uh, yeah, the I hear you a little better now, but it's breaking up. It's, I'm, okay. I'm sorry. Allison, can you repeat? So can you just sure. uh, yeah, Go ahead. Um, hi, David. It's Allison. Mm -hmm. um, what Rachel was just asking is if you could um, sort of paint a picture of what a day on the retreat that we're about to go to from December 25th to January 1st. Um, the gift of silence, what a day on this retreat looks and feels like for people who are participating. Okay, I got that. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. That a lot. Okay, folks, uh, retreat, uh, in, normally when we tell people we're going to do a silent retreat, uh, they use, often, if, if they have not had any experience, they panic. Retreat, they, <laughs> they come back and say, oi, 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 I could never be quiet for seven days and be silent. I'd go crazy. And it's those people who usually after the third or fourth day go, come to me and say, oh, I don't want to go back and start talking <laughs> again because it's mm -hmm. so delicious and so wonderful what we're doing here. And it actually turns out to be pretty straightforward and, and, and fairly uh, simple. One of the things we do that's very clearly um, connected with our Jewish roots is uh, early in the morning, we, we try to have an optional early morning sit for people who want to just be quiet and start the day off in the quiet. So early in the morning, folks come in and, and sit 
to 45 minutes, and, and just in quiet. And uh, it's very fundamental, very simple instructions, easy to listen to, but not so easy to do. And the instructions basically you know, ask people to stay with their breath, to stay with the hearing, noticing whatever's happening outside. And just sitting quiet, sitting still. Very simple. Then we uh, usually uh, uh, have a davening session, which uh, you're not going to find in any Buddhist world. And we have <laughs> daven for about an hour and a half. And that's with uh, melodies and chanting, with quiet in between. But most of the things that we learn have learned in our, all of the davening comes out of the Torah, and most of the things have uh, commentary, so we might spend a couple of minutes inviting in uh, different attitudes and different experiences as we chant a selection of uh, praises that we've uh, chosen. And we are blessed to have uh, Eliezer Sobel, a friend of ours who's also a co-teacher, and he's a musician in the music is one of the highlights of the, of the day because it's so um, melodic and wonderful. And then uh, there's, uh, there's a brunch usually, and then we do uh, uh, what we call the sit-walk, sit-walk uh, afternoon where you spend 45 minutes sitting, 45 minutes walking, and you spend a good chunk of the day doing a, the quiet practice and reflecting on what's happening as the mind settles down and gets quieter and quieter. During this time, we have a training session for people so that there is an opportunity to listen to other people with the questions that they have and the difficulties that they might be having with the practice. Um, there's an opportunity for questions to be asked. And, and uh, so it's, while it's a silent retreat, there's opportunities to uh, share with the, one of the teachers one-on-one -on -one or in a group. Um, uh, What's, going, what's happening to them, and there's a lot of guidance that goes on uh, during the afternoon of the practice. Uh, there's a, a yet another meal, and at Isabella Friedman, it's very, it's uh, glass kosher. And um, we, in the evenings, uh, we usually have a talk by one of the people that are teaching. That would be Eliezer himself. That would be myself and my wife, Shoshana. And uh, we usually teach something that's inspirational and that uh, opens up the heart and opens up the mind and a willingness to stay with the practice. And this that I've described as our daily schedule is uh, very fundamental, it's, but it's, it's the main focus of the schedule is the silence and the ability to just uh, not get caught up in the uh, social interchange that we mostly do. And there's a kind of a release there where people don't feel that they have to engage and in fact, it turns out that there's a, a preference for the silence, as I pointed out at the beginning. Um, there's, a, a, there's an opening that happens, both mental and physical, where um, there's just this delightful freedom that begins to grow, this sense of liberation of, oh my goodness, you know, I, I thought I would go crazy being quiet, but as it turns out, I'm discovering so many beautiful things and feeling nature in such a sweet and wonderful way. Uh, where have I been all these years? And where has this been? And so uh, at, usually in our retreats, a third to a half of the people who attend have been with us before, and they're coming back for yet a second, third, fourth, fifth time. And we have some people that have come back ten times a year, I mean ten times over a ten-year period. And uh, so you'll, you, there is something happening here. And what we and and we uh, 
credit that to the idea of transformation. It happens to a lot of people where, uh, where in certain levels of learning, uh, you, trans you, you learn something, but it doesn't change very much. But when you sit quietly and when you go through this different kind of process, and uh, in the beginning it's, it's challenging, and then after three or four days there's a relaxation into it, and things begin to open up in this wonderful way. It uh, sounds, so, it sounds uh, the like schedule is the key. The silence is all that we ask of people, both in the retreat and as, as they go to their rooms and being very quiet and very careful not to disturb others. Other than that, there's, there's nothing that, uh, there aren't any special rules, but we learn a lot about our tradition and learn a lot about what, uh, where things have gone and reach to certain teachers in the tradition back from earlier times. Thank so you, Rab uh, Rabbi David. It sounds really inspiring and uh, and meaningful, and I I hope our um, I hope that our our listeners really feel they have a taste of what they could experience. It sounds like a perfect way to to transition into a new year. Um, Allison, um, the Jewish Meditation Center in Brooklyn was just named by Slingshot as one of the fifty most inspiring Jewish nonprofits in North America. Congratulations! Thank you. It's so exciting. So let me ask you, what inspired you to found the center? Um, well, it's a large piece of my inspiration of founding the JMC was from going on Cooper retreats, um, actually. So um trying to think where I should start. So like I said, I learned how to practice as a teenager. Um, and then I was really kind of all Buddhist all the time. Um and then found Jewish meditation through Rabbi Cooper's book. Um, and then after I read that book and I came back from Israel, I started really trying to search out Jewish meditation, which was difficult at the time. You know, now there's like a whole section in Barnes and Noble, but then it was like a couple of books on a hidden shelf. <laughs> um, so I read those books, but, um, but I was really searching for more and, um, I moved to California and I wound up living down the street from Chokhmat Halev, which was a Jewish meditation center. Um, and I wound up studying with some really amazing teachers through Chokhmat, um, including Rabbi Alan Liu and Shefa Gold and, um, and other people who really influenced me. And, and I also really got to see what it felt like to practice in community. Um, and I had been going on a lot of Buddhist meditation retreats and really loving them and getting a lot out of it and being a part of those communities. But um, I wanted that in my, I wanted to sort of integrate um, what I had been finding through meditation with my Jewish practice. And at that point, it, they felt separate in certain ways. Um, and then I moved back to New York for graduate school. And um, I was just really sad that there was nothing that I could find nearby. Um, and that I was going to these retreats with the Coopers and with Jeff Roth and Joanna Katz and Alan Liu and Norman Fisher at Isabella Friedman, which were incredible, like seriously transformative. Um, but then I was coming home and it was really hard to bring my practice home with me. Um, and so part of what I wound up doing with friends is that we wanted to figure out what it would mean to create a Jewish meditation center. Um, and we had sort of been looking for different things. And there, there are, you know, really amazing Jewish spiritual communities in New York City. Um, but we couldn't find anything that really reflected 
our perspective. And we really wanted um, to be in a community of peers to figure out what a, what a learning community in Jewish meditation would look like, where it wasn't sort of centered around one charismatic leader, um, but what would a grassroots community-led Jewish meditation center look like? And since we couldn't find one or anywhere, really, we decided that we would start one. So that's how it started. Um, and now we, um, we're about two and a half years old. And I think that we've really created a home for Jewish meditation in New York City and also outside of New York City um, that many, many people, including myself, were looking for. Um, and so every week we have weekly sits that are community-led. So whoever is leading offers a kavanah based on that week's Torah portion. And then we have two 20-minute meditation sits and then discussion. Um, and that's every week. We do a lot of holiday workshops and events. Um, like next week's Getting in the Mood for Hanukkah, which will be super fun. Mm -hmm. um, and we bring in guest teachers, including David and Shoshana Cooper, um, and sort of bring our teachers to Brooklyn, um, which is funny because many teachers are actually from Brooklyn originally. Um, and we have like yoga classes. We have lots of different things going on. And then we also do kind of ridiculous on purpose um, and fun social events like our beer, Jews, and Enlightenment, which is a party we have every summer at an outdoor beer garden where we do a drinking meditation. And part of the idea is that you can have a serious Jewish meditation practice and you can also hold it lightly and that you really can bring it home with you or bring it out with you, I guess, um, and just sort of figuring out what does it mean to carry this practice into our lives. I think that the drinking meditation is going to sound like just the way in for some people. <laughs> and really, really, it's an incredibly creative approach to, um, to engaging people uh, in the practice without it, without it feeling alienating or distancing. Um, right. have, you, have you found that uh, other meditation centers have cropped up in other cities using you as an inspiration? Yeah, absolutely, which is really exciting and inspiring. Um, and we've been working with communities all over the country who either want to start um, something like what we did or who want to bring um, this kind of practice or these kinds of programs to their universities and synagogues and yoga studios and communities and organizations. And I really think that um, this is sort of a next generation approach, this sort of grassroots approach. Um, at the same time, it's not like we're we're not doing anything, you know, radically outside of what's come before. You know, we're co-sponsoring the Cooper Retreat this winter. And a lot of people from the Jewish Meditation Center of Brooklyn are going, me included, um, maybe obviously. And so part of it is like being in conversation with all of these really amazing um, and wise teachers and also sort of creating a space for a younger generation to realize that they have the capacity to also teach and to lead and to learn together in community. That really, you know, promises that that the, this practice of Jewish meditation will be available uh, for, for many years to come and really an integral part of Jewish spirituality. It's very exciting. Um, so I think that, you know, most, most of our listeners understand that meditation is something that's really transformative personally, and certainly you've both spoken to that experience in your own lives. Um, but uh, Allison, I wanted to ask you, the Jewish Meditation Center's mission talks about um, 
transforming the world through the cultivation of awareness, compassion, and Jewish wisdom. Um, and I think that many people think of meditation as a deeply personal, transformative thing for oneself. But you do talk about the power of meditating in community. So can you talk a little bit about um, the ways in which the cultivation of awareness through meditation can help to transform the world, which is, of course, a, you know, a very Jewish notion? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, first, I love this question. Um, so my perspective, and I think what the way that we approach this whole idea at the Jewish Meditation Center is that truly sustainable tikkun olam or repairing the world or healing the world happens from the inside out. So the way that I think about that is that violence in the world is usually manifesting from violence inside of ourselves. And the way that I see meditation is that through a meditation practice, you sort of can't help but cultivate awareness. And through awareness, naturally comes compassion and kindness. And so through meditation, you're sort of shifting your own patterns. And I think, you know, more and more people meditating, you know, when you're shifting entire patterns in the way that we approach pain and anger and suffering, um, that has to transform the world. Uh, I also think, you know, I've learned one of my teachers, Rabbi Rachel Cowan, told me once, and I think about this a lot, that anger is a really great catalyst and a really horrible fuel. Mm -hmm. And so I think that we need another kind of fuel to do good work in the world. And I see meditation and Jewish contemplative practice as a fuel and a tool to do that. That when you sort of take time to realign yourself, to really practice teshuva, you know, to return to your best self, to holiness, um, that transforms the world. Mm-hmm. It, yeah, it, that's good. Right, let me add to yeah, that. Yeah, go but, ahead. Um, is that right? Yes, please. <laughs> okay. Uh, when uh, when Buddhism came to the U.S. back in the 60s in a big way, um, there were a lot of folks that brought Eastern tradition in in, the, in this wonderful joining together. And uh, initially, the Buddhist world started the way it's normally characterized as the individual more focused than, than the community. But interestingly, a lot of the teachers uh, in, the, in those days, in the 60s and 70s, um, were uh, had a Jewish background or whatever, but what came out of the Buddhist movement in those days was what was known as engaged Buddhism. Mm-hmm. There was something about the learning, doing the practice of bringing it in in a way that you're really engaged in the community that uh, made a lot of sense to the folks that were teaching the Buddhism. And I found that a very interesting thing that happened so that East uh, started to integrate with West in the spirituality that we were working with. Both, med- both meditation and also uh, the work that we do with the community. And so it, it turns out that there are folks that are, you know, very single-minded about service, and I think it's wonderful that, uh, the work that they do. And a lot of times when we're committed to doing the work to transform the world, uh, there's, uh, unfortunately, oftentimes there's a burnout if that's the only focus that you have. So it turns out that having a balanced approach to both the inner work that we do in the meditative world and the outer work that we do in Tikkun Olam and the service in the world, it integrates in a very pleasing and wonderful way on, on many different levels, and the burnout rate goes way down, and the ability then to serve goes way up, so that it actually nurtures 
the motivation that most of us have to the healing of this world and, and making sure that there's going to be a good world many years to come. Amen. Uh, so um, <laughs> I think we've changed the image and the nature of what does it mean to go on a silent retreat. It's not just it's a, a gro- growing process for the individual, but at the end of every session that uh, we do in our morning davening, uh, after we do the Amida and we close for the morning davening session, in every single one there's a, a blessing that comes out. I frequently lead it. It just basically says, keep in mind that the work that we're doing is not for ourselves, but for those around us and for the not only this community but for all communities, that we may have greater love and compassion and understanding and, and work healthfully with one another. This is a very important part of the practice is to recognize that it, we're not practicing so that we can that we can attain some level of enlightenment, whatever that means to people, but we're practicing because we know that it overflows into the world. And understanding that, interestingly, being quiet and doing the work that we're doing, we're serving in a very deep way, and then we're actually physically serving when you know when it's time to go back into the world. Thank I, you. I that, kind of, that I hope you can hear me, Rabbi Cooper. I hope you can hear me say that that is incredibly inspiring, <laughs> um, and that also it's a really I think it's really a wonderful thing that this this radio program and this retreat are happening right here at the juncture of the new year because so many of us are thinking about how we can, um, you know, use this as an opportunity to, to, to both transform ourselves and the world in the new year. And you're really giving us some, some tools. So actually that leads me right to my final question for, for this broadcast. Um, I'm hoping that each of you uh, might, might answer the question um, of how people can get started. I think listeners who might be intrigued by this but might feel like, oh, I've tried to meditate and my mind just keeps drifting and I'm too anxious and it's boring or whatever the issues are that get in the way. And I'm wondering if you can just share a few tips for for those who might not be able to come on the retreat but would like to get started with some kind of practice. Um, Maybe, Allison, can you begin and then Rabbi David? Sure. Um, Well, I feel like I'm supposed to say they should come to the Jewish Meditation Center. Yes. But so anyone <laughs> anyone who's in the New York City yeah. area should definitely do that. Yeah. Um, but if you're not in the New York City area, we still would love for you to be a part of our community. And um, we have a lot of resources online. We're building up a national network and trying to connect um, Jewish meditation groups and bring Jewish meditation programming all over the country. Um, so if you go to jmcbrooklyn.org, you can get connected. Um, but right now, I think... You know, a lot of people ask me about this and ask and say, you know, I've tried meditating before, but it's just not good for me. My mind is all over the place. I don't, I can't sit still. And that's actually my favorite student. Um, Because I think, like I said before, um, many people have these preconceived notions of what it means to meditate. And so if we can sort of throw some of those away and say, you know, sorry, you're not going to be able to clear your mind. So let's not set ourselves up for failure. Um, what you can do is learn techniques like simply following your breath and use that as an anchor. And it's called a practice for a reason. So you keep practicing, coming back again and again to a point of focus, whether that's your breath or a prayer um, or awareness or a word. Um, 
and that you just sort of practice returning again and again to that focus. And then over time, it builds it up. The last time I was at Isabella Friedman over the summer, um, I was actually staring at the lake, um, which is also one of the best parts of going on retreat. Um, and I was thinking a lot about the lake as sort of a metaphor for meditation, that um, if you think about a lake after a storm, it's all like riled up. And so you can't see through it. It's all like muddy and yucky and dirty. Um, and if you let that lake settle, if all that sediment settles to the bottom, um, and then you have clear water on top, that's sort of what we're going for, I think, in meditation, that the stuff is still there. You haven't taken it all out, but it gets to settle. And then you have some clear, you know, vision and clarity at the top of it. So that's sort of how I think about meditation. That's a wonderful metaphor. It makes it seem possible. Thank you. It is. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and Rabbi David, um, did you hear the question? Can you give us one or two tips yeah, about how to get Thank started? Uh, I, just, I was loving to listen to Allison. And I, I uh, would say, please, if you're anywhere in the New York area, go, go to Brooklyn. It's <laughs> 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 another experience because it's very alive and very wonderful. And it's, a, it's, a, it's different when there's a lot of people there in their 20s and and 30s, and and there, there's an uh, incredible vitality that goes on in, in the group. So I would highly recommend it. Uh, the interestingly, the preconceptions of meditation are somehow you're going to sit still, and yeah, when you're on retreat, oftentimes you're sitting there and you're looking around the room. You're going, oh, all these wonderful meditators here. <laughs> and I'll never get there. I'll never. <laughs> Uh, I'll never have that experience because my mind's so busy, and and if it isn't busy, it's a boring thing. I'm just sitting there <laughs> doing nothing, and I got plenty of other things I'd like to do. The bottom line actually is uh, to be willing to understand that that the busy mind is actually our natural mind, and if we're you know what happens is it seems to accentuate when we're sitting quietly, but in fact uh, the mind is just doing what it's always doing, which is it's thinking about a lot of different things. And, and when we're sitting still, we notice that and go, well, I'll never be a good meditator. And that's a misconception because a good meditation is one where you recognize that the mind's going crazy. You recognize that you're <laughs> completely out of control. And uh, when we're busy in our daily lives in the, in the world now that invites us to multitask, uh, which means that we got our computer working and we got our iPad off to one side and our iPod <laughs> working also, and our iPhones and this and that, all of which are fantastically wonderful uh, implements to you know, connect with the world. So I'm not, I'm not opposed to these things. I'm just saying that when we're engaged in the multitude of uh, possibilities, we don't recognize that what's going on inside of the mind is um, what's going on. And when we slow down and quiet down, we, we begin to recognize it. And in that recognition, when somebody comes to me and says, oh, I've got what they call the monkey mind so much, and I just am so agitated, and I don't know what's wrong. I say that, well, you're having a great retreat. <laughs> and I say, because you're now coming to recognize what's going on inside. You come to see what's at the focus of those patterns. Our goal isn't just to slow down. That's the natural effect of sitting still and being on a, a week's retreat, for example. But uh, it's actually to come into contact as... As, as, as Allison mentioned, with the awareness of that is ever present, and so that we can see what's really happening from.
from a different point of view, a different perspective. So our guidance usually comes at the end of a retreat um, where a person says, what do I do now? And it's actually the same guidance that we give as for people who can't make it to the retreat, which is basically give yourself a break at least half hour to 45 minutes a day where you don't do anything. You just, just see if you can do that where you don't do anything. <laughs> now, you know, that's, in essence, that's an, uh, an invitation to experience Shabbos every day. What do you mean Shabbos every day? I mean, you know, in, in, with the Shabbos environment, we're invited not to think about the past and the future. We're just to be in the present. Uh, take a walk in the woods. That's you know that's very kosher on Shabbos. It's very Shabbistic. And um, <laughs> so oftentimes I'll take people who are actually somewhat aligned with their Jewish background, and I'll say, and after a year or two of taking 45 minutes a day and just doing nothing, you don't have to do anything. Now start thinking about Shabbos. Hmm. <laughs> and you know. It's an anathema for some people about, oh, yo, yo, I can't do anything. And I go, oh, great, I can't do anything. <laughs> and, and so at the beginning, you say, well, these things will never get done. And it comes as a point of amazement to a lot of people that the world's going to continue whether they're physically engaged or not. <laughs> and uh, so the bottom line for folks is if you're willing to just take a certain period of time off on a regular basis, just like you brush your teeth and just like you maybe you do your yoga, um, let yourself sit quietly and don't do anything. And after a while, it will begin to settle down and we'll begin to recognize how, you know, what's going on in the mind. But that's, that's the first number one advice, piece of advice uh, that I could say. And um, there's one other thing that uh, I heard that we should take at least a few moments every day and consider how we're feeling, what's happening, look around us, what's the rhyme and reason to all this business that's going on in the world. Just give yourself a little bit of, of uh, time to reflect. So I think that is the perfect, Rabbi, Rabbi David, Allison, I think that's the perfect place to end is by um, sending off our listeners with a wish that they find every day um, at least a moment um, to have that level of deep awareness and to just connect with themselves wherever they are, monkey minds and all. Um, I really want to thank you both um, for taking the time today to speak with us, to share your wisdom and your inspiration. It was a terrific hour, and I really appreciate it. Um, and I want to thank everyone who had a hand in Isabella Free Radio's production and to the jcapsnetwork.org for broadcasting us. Um, most of all, thanks to you, our listeners. And feel free to share this broadcast with your colleagues and friends we hope to see you up at Isabella Friedman, if not on the new year, then very soon. Thanks again, Allison and Rabbi David. Thank you. Thank you.